Well, let's just take a moment. Let's welcome First Norfolk at our Volvo location. Let's welcome them for joining joining with us today for worship. What a joy it is to have that gathering with us at our 11 o'clock hour, and and, uh, it is a joy for you to be here with us, and thank you uh, for joining us uh, for this time of worship today as we prepare uh, to uh, open up God's Word and to hear from Him, to submit to the authority of God's Word. I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 2. While you're turning there to Mark chapter 2, I want to call your attention to two specific events that are happening this week. First of all, uh, on, Friday, uh, on Thursday, uh, on, no, on Friday, March the 4th, uh, we have Girls' Night Out. Guys, you are not invited. Uh, that's right, you are not invited. Uh, you cannot self-invite to that event. That is uh, for our ladies, and so it is... A wonderful time. It's going to be a great celebration. As we finish up the message that that I'm going to be sharing today, uh, you're going to want to leave where you're seated seated, and go to the table uh, and purchase a ticket for yourself to Girls' Night Out and a ticket for a friend uh, who is perhaps far from God and needs to find life through Christ. Uh, you might say, well, Girls' Night Out is not for me, uh, and, uh, and, and I understand that. Perhaps uh, that's not your cup of tea, but really, none of this is for you. All of this is for Him. And so when we talk about going to Girls' Night Out, we're talking about you making a commitment to be on mission Invite someone in your sphere of influence, whether it's a worker, a, a co-worker, or someone who goes to school with you, or a neighbor, or someone down the street, and you making it your mission to invite them to come with you so that they can hear the good news of God's great love brought to us through Jesus Christ. Um, we, we need to be about that. So this Friday, it's going to be a great event. They, I want to be there because they're having like uh, all kinds of different food and uh, they've got different vendors that you can go and you can check out stuff and, and buy stuff or just check out stuff. I hope my family checks out and doesn't buy too much. But, uh, and then uh, Susan Thomas will be coming. We've had her here before. It's my sister-in-law. Uh, and she does a great job communicating God's truth uh, to our ladies. And so you want to be here for that. You wanna, it's going to be at First Norfolk on Volvo. It's going to be at our Volvo location, First Ladies event like this at our Volvo location. So you be sure and make the drive over. Bring a friend. Don't, don't come alone. Uh, the second event I want to invite you to is this Thursday, May the 3rd, from 12 to 1, uh, we will be participating in the National Day of Prayer at First Norfolk on Kempsville in our chapel. And uh, take, uh, take as much time or as little time as you can. Get over here uh, after work or for your lunch break, and let's take time together to pray. Now, here's what's going to happen at this event. Uh, National Day of Prayer, perhaps you're already plugged in, one of the organizations that you're uh, involved with, and that's great, and that's fine. But if you're not, you uh, can come here to our chapel. Once you walk into the chapel, if you're there five minutes early, just know at noon, straight up noon, we're going to start praying. And I will lead us through prayer. Uh, I'm not preaching. I'm not sharing a Bible study. Uh, I'm reading some, some guides 
uh, a guide, and, and we're going to pray for that. We'll pray publicly. We'll pray silently. We'll pray privately. We'll pray, um, we'll pray, pray around the room. We'll pray all by ourselves, but we're going to pray. And, uh, and, and that's what's going to happen from 12 to 1. We're going to be praying for our nation. Uh, and so I want to encourage you, uh, come when you can, leave if you have to leave early, but just be here uh, for our National Day of Prayer, 12 to 1, unless you're involved in another event, whether it's at breakfast or at lunch or in the afternoon, uh, and, and, but be involved in praying for our nation this week. So you be sure and uh, take advantage of those opportunities. Uh, we need to be a people of prayer. All right, so... Uh, that's uh, what we're going to be doing. Now let's talk about what we're here for today. In Mark chapter 2, we have the story of Jesus preaching in Capernaum and then uh, making a, another trip. And, and while he's in Capernaum, he's uh, preaching in a house. And the house is filled to overflowing, so much so that, that uh, you can't fit everybody in the house or even muscle your way through toward the house. It's so filled up and and stretching out uh, into the streets there in Capernaum. While he's preaching, there are four guys who have already heard him preach, whose lives have been changed by Jesus, and they determine uh, that, uh, that they need to get a guy who's paralyzed to Jesus. They believe that Jesus could take this paralyzed man and make him whole, so they pay the price of walking up to the Uh, roof of this flat-roofed house, breaking through the thatch and lowering this man and putting him in front of Jesus. And the Scripture says that when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Well, that was an amazing thing, a powerful statement. Jesus uh, has the power and the authority to forgive sin. The religious leaders didn't like it, so they complained. They said, this guy is a blasphemer because who but God alone can forgive sin? They got it right. Only God can forgive sin. And what they failed to recognize is that Jesus is God. Well, they, they, uh, they, they complained about Jesus, the religious leaders did, and Jesus asked the question. He said, what's easier for me to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say to the paralytic, um, arise, take up your bed, and walk? He goes on, he said, but so that you, talking about the religious leaders, so that you know, might know that the Son of Man, Jesus, has the power on earth to forgive sin, he turned to the paralytic and he said, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And immediately the paralytic arose, sin forgiven, body made whole, and he walked through that crowded house and everybody saw and everybody celebrated. And they said as one... We've never seen anything like this before. Have you? The second story we'll look at is the story beginning in verse 13 where Jesus then uh, is making his way through the streets and he comes upon a guy named Levi. We also know him as Matthew. He comes upon this guy named Levi and uh, Levi is a tax collector and he's sitting at the tax office or really it's a table and he's receiving money as people come in. And Jesus sees Matthew. Now, the way it is described in the, in the original language, in the Greek language, when he sees Matthew, he sees into Matthew. It's not just, I see you, see your face like I'm looking at you right now. Jesus gazed into the heart 
of Matthew. And as he gazed into the heart of Matthew, he said, follow me. And immediately Matthew got up from his tax table and he left behind Rome, he left behind Herod, he left behind his prophets, he left behind his vocation, he left behind his livelihood, he left behind the good life he had and gave up the better life he wanted and moved on to the best life he could ever know and he followed Jesus. His life was changed. And immediately in the next verse, next sentence, we see that Jesus is hanging out with Matthew and his friends. Now, if you're a tax collector, most of your friends, all of your friends are going to be tax collectors and sinners. You want to know why? Because a tax collector was kicked out of the church. A tax collector was ostracized by his family. Any respectable person were going to have any kind of relationship with a tax collector. So the only friends that, that Matthew or Levi had were other sinners and tax collectors. A couple of things about being a sinner and a tax collector. In, in Jesus' day, you had the sinners, and if you were called a sinner, you were a bad one, right? I mean, you're a sinner. Well, I mean, that, that was bad. Now, we all know that we have all sinned and fall short of God's glory. Back then, they, if you were called a sinner, it's like you're really, really a bad, bad, bad cat, you know? But if you were called a tax collector, that's being a sinner on steroids. So here it is. Jesus walks, as it were, into... Um, this, this seedy, uh, sin-filled, s- sin-soaked home of Matthew and is surrounded by people uh, drinking and smoking and doing all kinds. I don't know if that's what they were doing, but that's what you would imagine with sinners and tax collectors all together. It's just bad, bad. And yet Jesus is right up in the middle of them. And again, the Scribes and the Pharisees, the religious cats, they get mad. And they ask the disciples, they don't have the courage to go to Jesus now. They just ask the disciples, why why is it that your master, your teacher, has the gall to sit down and have dinner with tax collectors and sinners? Before the disciples could respond, listen again to what Jesus said. Verse 17 of chapter 2. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He said, hey, you religious guys, you're not well, but you think you're well. You're not righteous, but you think you're righteous. I, I can't help you. You think you don't need me. Jesus said, but I came to help those who know they needed help. I've come to help those sinners, those tax collectors, those who are truly far from God. I've come to transform their lives. And aren't you glad that Jesus came to transform our lives? As we look at this story, we need to remember that that the people who uh, flocked around the house of Capernaum, the people that, that filled the house of Matthew, they were people longing for an escape from the cycle of despair and hopelessness in which they lived. Even the scribes and the Pharisees, they were working hard to overcome their sense of despair and hopelessness. You see, since the creation of time, when God made Adam and Eve in his own likeness and image, made them in, to live in perfect harmony with himself. 
Since that time in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve left fellowship with God for disobedience and rebellion by eating the fruit of a tree. In that moment of sin in Genesis 3, all humanity has been on this spiraling, uh, uh, spir- downward spiraling course that, that, that is filled with emptiness, hopelessness, and despair. Why? Because sin has separated us from God. It's created a chasm between us and God that we can't fill. And so we try to, we try to make up for the despair of distance that we experience because we're distanced from God. We try to make it up by doing a lot of different things. And, and throughout the course of Israel's history, and God would, who brought them into covenant with himself, he, he made opportunities for them to live in harmony with himself, but they rebelled over and over and over again, and their sin created a chasm. So much so that they had gone now centuries without hearing from God. And now comes Jesus, the promised rescuer, coming on the scene. Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, who promised from God to take away the sin of the world. This Jesus has come, and people are sitting, and they're listening to him speak, and they're watching him uh, teach, and they say, this is what God wants for me. Here's hope. In fact, in Mark chapter 2, when it says that Jesus was in the house of Capernaum and he taught them the word, he was teaching them the word of God's promise and hope and deliverance and rescue that their search and yearning for for satisfaction and, and peace and comfort can be satisfied. Jesus was delivering that word to the people. He had come, according to Mark 1, 14 and 15, he had come preaching The good news of God's kingdom. The inbreaking of God's presence. And so people began to yearn for that. Because they had not experienced that in their life. They were broken. A broken people. And that's the way people are today. Here in this room, the people with whom you work, everywhere you go, people are living that broken kind of life, a life of despair and hopelessness and frustration and futility because they long for the emptiness of their soul to be satisfied, but it can't be satisfied because their sin has distanced them from God. It's it's like, um, have you ever tried to float a rock on water? Have you ever taking a glass of water and you fill it up to the top and and you go out and you get a little rock out of the yard and you come to the water and and you say, I'm going to float this rock on the water. And you meticulously, diligently, purposefully place that rock on the water and you let go and the uh, the, the rock sinks. Can I tell you? Ten times out of ten, that rock's going to sink. A hundred times out of a hundred, that rock is going to sink. A thousand times out of a thousand, a million times out of a million, that rock is going to sink. And yet, that's the way we live our lives. We wake up in the morning and we say, today, I'm going to find satisfaction. I'm going to take that rock and I'm going to float it on that glass of water. But the rock sinks. It's like the ancient Greek mythology of that gentleman that that has to, uh, for eternity, roll a boulder up a hill. 
And he spends his, all his energy and all his effort rolling that boulder up the hill, hoping he gets to the summit and he finds rest. But just as he's about to reach the summit and find rest, he's crushed under the weight of the boulder and it starts all over again. And that's his journey for eternity. And there are people with whom you work, people that you have in your home, people that are in this church today, and you are living that life. And you're trying. You're trying to float rock on water. You're trying to roll the boulder up the hill and keep it up to the summit. But, but the problem is you're not making it. It's not happening for you. And the reason is because there's a distance between yourself and God. You're far from God. But for those of us in the room, those of us who've come to know and understand that Jesus is the only hope that we have in this life or in eternity, those of us who have seen Jesus for who he is, the rescuer, the great physician who has come to call me a sinner to repentance, to life, to hope, to purpose, to transform my life. This is who Jesus is for those of us who've experienced that life-giving love of God's great grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We have been transformed. We've been changed like the four friends who found this paralytic, they had been changed and transformed by Jesus. And so they decided to pick up the four corners of the cot and get that paralytic to Jesus. They wanted to see what had happened to them, happened to him. That's why Matthew, who heard two words from Jesus, follow me, but felt the searing gaze of Christ's love and mercy and compassion and tenderness and holiness pierced to the core of his soul, and it transformed him and gave him life instead of death, light instead of darkness, hope instead of despair. And Matthew said, yes, I'll follow Jesus. And he was transformed, so much so that he invited every friend, every sinner that he knew to come into his house because he thought that if Jesus could do this for Matthew, then perhaps Jesus could do this for Matthew's friends. Now here's the point of Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. Here, here, here's the point for you and me. To be a follower of Jesus means that we first have been transformed by God's grace. You can't be a follower of Jesus without having been transformed, without through repentance and faith come into a friendship with God through faith in Christ. That's the only way transformation happens. There's no other way, no other name under heaven by which anyone can be rescued from trying to float a rock on water or roll a boulder up a hill. The only way we can be rescued from the penalty of our sin and, the, and, and, and a life of drudgery and despair, the only way that you can be rescued is not by going to church. Stop thinking that. The only way that you can be rescued is not by being a good person. It doesn't work. The only way we can be rescued is through trusting in Jesus as my only hope for rescue. That he died on the cross in my place for my sin. That he was raised from the dead to give me new life. And because of him, I can live. But only because of him. See, we believe this wonderful audacious declaration that Jesus is the only hope in this life for us or for anyone 
because he's transformed our lives. Now the point is, as those who have been transformed, our job, the value that we have as a church is we help those who are far from God find life in Jesus Christ. You see it. Don't you see it in this text? Jesus changed the four cot carriers and, 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 and stretcher bearers. He changed their life. He transformed their lives so that when they saw the guy in need, they picked up the corners and they said, we will pay whatever price it takes to get him to Jesus. Because what Jesus did for me, he can do for him. And it's my job. It is my vocation. It is my mandate from holy God to help that person who is far from God find life in Jesus. That's why Matthew did what he did. Matthew understood how bad he had it before Jesus. He hadn't forgotten that. Maybe that's part of our problem. Maybe part of our problem is that we've forgotten how bad it was for us before we met Jesus. We've forgotten how filled with despair you are when you don't have friendship with God through faith in Christ. Maybe, maybe we need a good reminder. Maybe we need to sit in the smoking section a little bit more. To remind ourselves of how bad it has been for those who are far from God. So that we would gain a deeper appreciation for how Jesus has transformed our lives. Matthew, he understood what Jesus had done for him so much so that he turned around to do it for his friends. We, we have a value as a church. You know, what identifies you as a member of this church is that you are declaring that you have been transformed by God's grace through faith in Christ. You can't become a member of our church without declaring it publicly through baptism. That you have, have been transformed by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And until you or I declare it publicly through believer's baptism, then, then I'm not a member of the church. So, so the way it's supposed to work is when we all get together uh, and, and we call ourselves First Norfolk Church members, this body of believers is truly a body of believers so that all of us who have been transformed, we, we have a mandate to as, get as many people in the seven cities of Hampton Roads or around the world to get as many people as we can who are far from God into connection with Jesus so that Jesus can transform their lives. And I know it's hard. I mean, it is. It's hard to have those conversations. 10,000 conversations is what our goal is in 2018. It's hard to have those conversations, to, to walk across that line and, and feel like you're getting personal. But when we look at Matthew and these four friends, we, we learn some lessons for ourselves that might help us this week as we uh, embrace this call to help those who are far from God find life in Christ. Now, first of all, could I just say you need to have some empathy for those folks and not be fooled by their smiles and money and possessions and parties. See, we believe that apart from God, there is no such thing as life. 
for anyone. Not for you, not for me, not for the person down the street. And it doesn't matter how far you've climbed the corporate ladder. It does not matter how much money you have in your retirement account. It does not matter how many games you can play and uh, how many gadgets you own or how many parties you throw. All those things are just a subterfuge to hide the frustration and futility of life of trying to float a rock on water or roll a boulder endlessly up a hill. The grind of life belongs to them, and we need to have empathy for them. That empathy should lead to a sense of urgency, an urgency that the four friends had and and that Matthew had immediately, immediately, immediately. Over and over again, repeated through this passage, Jesus had an urgency immediately, immediately, immediately. Why? Because there's no time to lose. Helping those who are far from God find life through Christ. There's no time to lose. Don't waste another second. Don't waste another hour. Don't waste another day. And we, oh friends, family of faith, we need to have that self-same urgency for those whom we call friends who are far from God, we we need to have that immediate urgency. Oh, please don't waste another second. Don't waste another minute. Don't waste another hour. Don't waste another day. Please, oh, please, oh, please find life through faith in Christ. We need to have that kind of urgency. We need to have availability. I know life can swallow us up. You're busy. I'm busy. We're all busy. You got problems. I got problems. We all have problems. And sometimes our busyness and our problems overwhelm us so that we don't think too much about talking to somebody about Jesus. I mean, I'm just being honest, right? I mean, isn't that true? I know most people say that it's fear that keeps them from talking to someone about Jesus. I I think fear is like the second or third obstacle you've got to overcome. The first one is just availability. I know it's hard. I mean, I know it is. I've walked this. There's been seasons in my life where I haven't talked to anybody about Jesus, and it's mostly because I'm consumed. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And then I began to think about that. No matter how bad my day may be or how busy my day may be, if one of my daughters or my wife or my future son-in-law call me, my future son-in-law when he becomes my son-in-law, If at any point in time during the day, no matter how sad I am, no matter how brokenhearted, no matter how how dreary my perspective is, no matter how depressed I may be, no matter matter how um, uh, busy I am, no matter how full my calendar, when, when my family calls, you know what I do? I drop it all. If they call me and say, Eric, I need you to come home now. Daddy, I need you to come home now. I will cancel every appointment on my calendar to be home with them. Because that's my job. That's what daddies and husbands are supposed to do. And I don't know if you knew this, but being a daddy and a husband is my job before being a pastor. So I might be depressed, I might be sad, I might be overwhelmed with emotions caught up in my feels, but in that moment when my children call, my wife calls, I'm available to them. I set aside all those other things and I will set my gaze upon them because that's my job. Being available to God 
means that we're ready to help someone who is far from God find life in Christ. Even when we don't feel like it, even when it's hard, even when we're consumed with busyness of life or the sorrows of life. We set our gaze first upon God, and and really it's not being available to a paralytic so much as it is being available to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's when we wake up in the morning and say, Father, you know my emotions today. You know how hurt I am. You know my my heartache. You know my pain. You know my sorrow. And so, God, you know me inside and out. But here's my commitment. My commitment today is this. And if you would make this commitment, it will change your life. My commitment today is this, oh, God. As you have saved me, I want to be an instrument of your salvation for someone else. So here's my commitment. I belong to you, Jesus. Right here, right now, all day. Now just show me what to do. And I'm available. You start there, I can promise you, you'll have opportunities to help someone who is far from God find life in Christ. As we... As we open our hearts to availability, it means that we're going to have, um, have to break through barriers, and those barriers may be a ceiling. Those barriers may be social. Those barriers may be uh, fear. And we have to break through barriers in order to help someone who's far from God find life in Christ. There's a barrier, a social barrier, that we're going to automatically uh, hit up against, and that is telling someone that the way they're doing life is wrong. That's a barrier. The question is, how do you get beyond that barrier? The, the antidote, antidote for every barrier we have to break through is faith. We have to believe. The reason the four cot carriers had the courage to break through a roof of a house that they didn't own was because they had absolute confidence and faith that Jesus, and only Jesus, could give a whole life to that paralytic. Not just heal his body, but heal his soul. Not just give him strength in the limbs of his body, but give him life and forgiveness of sin. They believed, they had absolute confidence in Jesus that Jesus could transform that life. The question is, do you have that kind of faith? Do you believe? No matter how hard the heart, no matter how how distanced they are from religion or morality or Jesus or church, do you believe that no matter how far they've gone, that Jesus has the power on earth to forgive their sin and transform their life? See, I believe. part of this church, we say we believe. And if we believe, then we will act. It's one of the things about faith in Mark's gospel. It's not some passive intellectual uh, pursuit. Faith is action. Faith is where we submit ourselves to what God tells us, and then we put it into practice. So today, as we think about how to put into practice what God reveals to us to help those who are far from God find life in Christ. What are the next steps? How do we put this into practice? And this, girls, night out, ladies, here it is. 
You say, well, I don't know if I can talk to somebody about their relationship with God. I don't know if I can confront somebody and say, you're doing life wrong. No, maybe you can't. Maybe you're not at that place. That's okay. But you leave this room, you go to that table, and you go and you purchase a ticket to girls' night out and purchase one for yourself and one for someone who is far from God. You take that extra ticket, you go to that person, you pray over them, you, you, you pray for the opportunity, and you go to them and you invite them and say, I bought you a ticket to this event, please, will you come with me? And once they get there, they will hear the good news of Jesus Christ, and you will begun that wondrous journey of helping those who are far from God find life in Christ. Maybe it's inviting them to your small group, your life group. Someone who's far from God, you might say, well, they're not going to be into all that stuff. You don't know what they're into. Just ask them to come to your life group. Invite them to come to your life group. And in that small setting of personal relationships, they begin to see the good news of God's great love lived out in these relationships. Bring them here into this room. I don't know if you know this, but I kind of throw the gospel out there pretty much every time we're here. <laughs> Bring them here. They'll hear it. Look, don't be passive. Our value is to help those who can't help themselves. They're, they can't. They're still trying to float a rock on water. They're still trying to roll that boulder up the hill and get to the top and being crushed under its weight. This, they can't help themselves, but we can help them. We've been transformed by God's love through faith in Christ. Now let's go and help those who are far from God find life through faith in Christ. Jesus came to help the sick. We once were sick. We've been made well by Jesus. Let's go get some other sick folk and connect them to the one, the only one who can make them well. Will you bow your heads with me, please? So how do you respond? Well, if you're a follower of Jesus, been transformed by God's grace, your response is yes. See, the point of discipleship, being a disciple of Jesus Christ, being a follower of Christ, means that you unite yourself fully to Jesus and to his mission. So your response, my response to this message is yes. Maybe you need to come to this altar and you need to pray for that one person with whom you are to have one of the 10,000 conversations, life-changing conversations that we've committed to as a church. You need to come to this altar and you need to pray for that person. Maybe you need to come to this altar and pray for yourself. Oh God, will you give me the courage to look beyond myself, my being swallowed by life, and look to those around me who are far from you, that I might be a voice in their world to point them to Jesus. And maybe 
you're here today and you're not sure whether you've been transformed by Jesus. You're not sure if he's really changed your life. You've been coming to church, but you're not sure that you have this, this transformation. Can I humbly suggest that if you're not sure you've had the, that, that transformation, then chances are you haven't. And if that's you today, I invite you to say yes to Jesus and come to one of the ministers that will be here at the front and just share with them, I, I'm not sure that I've ever been transformed by God's grace. We'll help you on that journey to become a follower of Jesus and find new life through faith in Christ. Maybe not come into this altar, maybe you don't need to come to one of the ministers at the front, but guys, we're about to sing a song talking about Jesus is all that we hope for. Everything that we need. He's the one that forgives our sin. He's the one that's given us new life. We're about to sing with all our hearts celebration song of what Jesus has done for us. So I invite you to celebrate what Jesus has done. Now, Father, right now, in these moments, as you work in the hearts and the minds of those who have gathered, I pray that you give courage to those who need to be rescued by your grace today. Give them the courage to come down and talk to one of the ministers at the front. I pray that you would put urgency on the heart of everyone who's been transformed by your grace. Give us an urgency and fill this altar here this morning with people pleading the cause and the case of those who are far from God before your throne. May we unite our hearts together with a passionate purpose to help those who are far from you find life through Christ. You are the fulfillment of our greatest desire, the meeting of our deepest need. You are Jesus. You are our everything. So we worship you today and we say yes to you today. And it's in your name we pray.